Welcome back. This is the Soft Count. Super happy to be back. Had a very busy week. I am a real estate agent, for those of you that are wondering. So I, I get a lot of uh, listeners in Columbus. I'm, I sell real estate here. Sold a $1.35 million house this week, cash in one day. Pretty good. Took the wife out for dinner last night. We went to the top. If you're in the area, the top is probably the best restaurant in Columbus. I, I love it. It's expensive, though. <clears throat> but after you sell a big house like that, it's time to go out. A little under the weather. I uh, don't drink as often as I used to. And, uh, you know, I had a few cocktails last night, and I'm feeling it. <laughs> anyway, we got a fantastic weekend ahead of us. We've got no football. Man, people are talking football, but they're reaching, right? Everybody's reaching on football. They're trying to talk DeAndre Hopkins suspension, you know, whatever. I, I, I'm kind of over football until for a few weeks. The draft, you can kind of grade it as you want. I can, I can grade it the day of. There's nothing that's changed since the day of and today. <laughs> These guys haven't played since then, and everybody's kind of giving them a new grade, and it's like, why? It doesn't matter. Like, they haven't done anything find that hilarious. But we've got the best UFC event of the year so far. We have the first Miami Formula One race, and we've got NBA playoffs, which we'll talk about first, and I can't get enough of right now. The, the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis series is fascinating. Most people are watching that right now very closely. And one of the things that I've taken away is the reaction of the game. What are people talking about the most? Obviously, the... Dylan Brooks, you know, Gary Payton hit. That's getting a lot of talk. But but the other thing that's getting a ton of talk throughout the playoffs is Draymond Green. And part of that's Colin Cowherd. And I love Colin. I listen to Colin every day. Some of you might hate him. I've <laughs> when I was younger, I hated him. You know, when I was like nineteen, I used to drive a truck for an, an ice cream company in town. Worst job I've ever had. And uh not like an ice cream truck through neighborhoods, like I delivered ice cream for a company driving a big frozen truck that delivered all this shit anyway um i used to listen to colin cowherd every morning he used to be on regular like i don't know the, the local radio every morning he was on for hours and so me and this other old guy would listen to it all day and he uh he was he was super conservative this guy i worked with so he kind of hated colin cowherd he's like how can you listen to this and i hated him just for other reasons because i was young and i just hated anybody that was older and, and was successful and had money because i was young and I was 19, and I was breaking my back listening to this guy, you know, kind of trying to relate to me when I was 19 because I grew up with a single mom, and uh, I watched her work three jobs. And, and people always want to talk about how everybody wants to believe they got their own success, and that's fine. I believe that's, you know, whatever. But uh, he loves Draymond Green, and he gives Draymond Green a lot of talk on television right now, and and Colin is the leader of the media in sports right now, even beyond ESPN. There's nobody on ESPN that's on TV as long as Colin is on, on FS1. Colin rocked the boat when he left ESPN and went to FS1. And, and you know, I watch him every day. I, I, I listen to Colin. That being said, he is like the Andy or like Sean. He's like Sean McVay. And he's got all these little acolytes that have kind of spread out throughout media even on other stations and when Colin says something everybody kind of hops on and now now everybody acts like Draymond Green is the greatest player ever and Draymond works for Colin he's on the volume and so Colin does want to lift him up it, it helps his brand but 
I think we're getting a little bit carried away with how good of a player Draymond Green is. And I, I just said on a, a previous broadcast, he won me over in the Jokic matchup. And he has won me over. Draymond has won me over. But I want to put the brakes on his importance. I got in an argument with a friend recently about him. And he's like, well, and this is a guy, a friend of mine that's really into stat, stats, statistics, until, until you talk about Draymond Green. And then he's like, he offers something that can't be quantified. And honestly, we, we always joke about that. On t- when anytime somebody says this guy's a locker room guy or this guy, we joke about it. It, it, it's, it means less than actual production to me. And I think people look at Draymond Green like, well, he's at least an enforcer in a league that can't really be, you can't really be an enforcer anymore. He pulled that guy down by his shirt gets tossed. He's not out for the game, but you see what happened with Dylan Brooks. He goes and knocks this dude down, and he's out for another game, only because Gary Payton broke his elbow. (laughs) That's Gary Payton's fault to a certain degree. He landed like a goon. You got to learn how to land. That's not Dylan Brooks' fault. I've seen a foul like that a million times and not seen somebody suspended for multiple games. They did it but it's a new it's a new game. I totally understand it. I even support it because if you're going to really push in this new direction of the NBA, like we're a skills game and you're not going to be like just clubbing people, then suspend him. Fine. You proved your point. Fine with it. But keep in mind, the only reason you gave him a second game is because of what happened to Gary Payton in the end, the end result. And when you start judging people by what at what what the end result is in a situation like that and not what he actually did, that's a slippery slope for the NBA. Now it's like, well, it was a flagrant. Okay, he's out for the game. Well, he all, the guy also broke his ankle on the flagrant because when he fell, another player fell on his leg, and that wouldn't have happened had the flagrant not happened, and now this guy suspended an extra game. You just can't do that. And so I, I'm not a huge fan of it because of that. I just look at that. What he did, he hit him in the head. He should be out for the game. Totally agree. Draymond Green arguably shouldn't have been out for the game. (laughs) That was a flagrant one. That guy didn't get hurt. He tried to catch him on the way down. And everybody's like, oh, he needs to retaliate. And I'm like, Draymond Green, it it just didn't warrant what I thought Dylan Brooks thought he had to do. But anyway, I want to talk about some stats real quick on Draymond that I think are very funny. I compared him to James Posey, to my friend. And my friend's like, James Posey played like five years. What are you talking about? James Posey played from 99 till 2010. And the only difference between these two guys is that James Posey moved around on different teams and didn't have a podcast and didn't really have a cheerleading core to to boost him up. But James Posey played 864 games. He averaged 8.6 points a game in his career. Draymond Green has played 685. So, you know, Draymond Green hasn't even played as as many games as Posey yet. He averages 8.7 points a game. Very similar. Draymond Green averaged about seven rebounds a game in his career. And then James Posey's averaged about five. Those two stats for the position they play are the most important. Now, there is one secondary stat that Draymond has, which is five assists a game in his career. 
And that's mostly because he turns down shots constantly. And if you look at their three-point, James Posey had a lot more threes. Not not many, but enough more to kind of make a, a dent in the numbers. And then uh, James averaged about two assists a game. But that was a different league, you know. They didn't run things through him as much. But Draymond, the reason he has so many assists is that the greatest shooter of all time was on his team. So do you think he would have five assists on any other team in the NBA? No. And, hell, if you look at his assists over the last couple of years when when um, these guys have been hurt, Clay and, and Steph Curry, he averaged like one assist a game in 2017 or something. Or no. It would have been 2014. Let's take a look. He has six. Six? That's pretty good. His assists went up a little bit when those guys were hurt. And he, he's aver- actually averaged more assists this season than he has in his career at seven. That's pretty solid. His assists are fine. I just don't think they'd be there on another team. And then the comp I've been hearing lately, Colin said something insane to me the other day. He said, I think Draymond's more valuable than a guy like Kevin Durant. And the answer is no, he isn't. (laughs) And then he keeps comparing him to Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman, in his career, averaged about the same points. He averaged seven points a game. But he averaged 13 rebounds a game. And they call Draymond the greatest. They're acting like he's the greatest defender of all time. It's He isn't. He's not even. If you were to just take these two guys and stand them next to each other and take their shirts off and look at Dennis Rodman and look at Draymond Green, you would not say they're in the same category of athlete. If you look at their stats, you wouldn't say they're in the same category of player. They're not in any way. Dennis Rodman's like one of the top 75 players of all time. And if you put him on multiple teams, which he was, he was great on all of them. Everyone remembers him with the Bulls. But he made a career in Detroit, and he played another couple years with the Spurs. At least maybe just one with the Spurs, but I'm pretty sure two. And I'm I'm positive that one year in 93 with the Spurs, he had like almost 20 rebounds a game for the season. Three years in a row, he averaged almost 20 rebounds a game for the season, for three years. There's nothing, Draymond, there's nothing he could even ever come close to in his statistical ratings of anything. Nothing like that. So he's not like Dennis Rodman. He's more like James Posey. And and then my buddy's like, well, James doesn't win. James has two rings. He won. And he was instrumental. He, you know, he played in those games. He, I'm pretty sure he won the ring with in the 05 and 06 with the Heat. You know, and he played a lot. He was kind of like LeBron's Draymond. And I liked his game a lot. James Posey was baller. And so is Draymond. They're baller. But they're not Dennis Rodman. They're not top 75 all time. And nobody ever would ever talk about James Posey. I mean, most of you guys listening are like, who? <laughs> I don't remember him at all. It's like, well, he wore high socks and had a headband and a cool mustache. I liked him as a kid. He was fucking gangster. <laughs> but he he's not a great player, and neither is Draymond. They're good players. I, would you take – I mean, I couldn't believe what I heard. When You wouldn't – no one would – no one thinks 
that Draymond's better than Kevin Durant, right? That's not – you wouldn't – even Golden State would take Kevin Durant back, give away Draymond Green, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't say, well, Draymond's a core member of our team. He's been here the whole time. And if Kevin Durant wanted to come back and said Draymond can't be, you tell me that Golden State would be like, no, we can't, we can't do that. Sorry, and that wouldn't happen. They're obviously buddies again. But I'm just, I'm just theoretically, you wouldn't do that. You'd, you'd say bye, Draymond, and hello, Kevin Durant. Welcome back. Glad to see you. And so would Steph Curry and everybody else in the locker room. And Draymond would leave and be like, well, I understand. You think he would? Maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's why he's better than he, better than he should be. <clears throat> So this series is hot, obviously, with the the couple hard fouls. Golden State shot really, really poorly uh, in the last game, and they're not going to do that again. I still firmly believe Golden State's going to the finals. Devin Booker's back, and he's playing well. The, The question, he came back really early, and that does worry me. And if he can't stay healthy... Which is a big if. I mean, it is. He played well, no doubt. But if he can't stay healthy, I don't see them beating Golden State. If he does stay healthy and he keeps playing the way he is and he's just back to what he was, like I said before, that's going to be a ball in series. Golden State, Phoenix, probably a game seven, probably Steph banging a 40, you know, a half court banger to win the series. I mean, I see that. That's going to be, that's going to be epic. My first initial thought on the East was Milwaukee's going to walk through the Celtics. Or actually, my first initial thought was the Celtics and Milwaukee are going to bang up on each other, and Miami's going to walk through Philly, and then they're going to Miami's going to just kind of feast on the Bucks or the Celtics because they just beat each other up, and Miami's going to feel good. They're probably going to, I mean, hell, they might they might win it in five. Miami might get it done in five. I don't, I don't know. Apparently, Joel Embiid's playing tonight. It's Friday. He's playing tonight, apparently, but he's probably going to have a cage on his head. How effective will he be? We'll see. But if Miami just walks through and the Celtics and the Bucks beat each other up, it might be an easy road for Miami. That was my initial belief. And then I saw the first Celtics-Bucks game and thought, nobody can stop, no, nobody can stop Giannis. He's, he's the best. And they're going to walk over the Celtics, and they're just going to walk straight to the finals. And then, thankfully, the Celtics answered back, and it appears we're going to have a series there. And my initial reaction was, you know, if these two teams beat each other up, Miami Miami might be the, the sleeper to get to the finals fairly easily. That being said, I still think the Bucks get through the Celtics, and we're probably looking at Miami and the Bucks. And we're on, in the East, and we're looking at uh, Golden State and Phoenix in the West. And anything after that, it's like, man, who knows what's going to happen. <clears throat> I have a hard time believing that anybody on the Heat can stop Giannis, mostly because of that last year. You know, in the bubble, they, were, they built a wall, which is funny. I'd never heard that term in basketball until build a wall. Nobody built a wall for Shaq. There's no such thing as building a wall. You can't lock arms and build a build a wall. I mean, you can I guess now you can play zone defense now. For a long time you couldn't play zone defense in the NBA, not really. It was not allowed. <laughs> Which is crazy, but now you can. And so you build a wall by playing zone defense. Now, Giannis has figured that out. Building a wall and playing zone against Giannis, and some of that is because Giannis can make shots 
He can make a deep two. He can make a three here and there. But more importantly, when you play a zone, what ends up happening with Giannis is he does his little Euro and runs through everybody, and, and they try to draw a foul on him. They hack him. And now he can make free throws. He's worked on it. I don't know why. I still am always baffled when a star player can't make free throws. I don't care who it is or how big he is. It's just work. It's just straight work. Anybody can learn to make free throws. Kids in high school. There's kids in high school that can make their free throws every time. Boom, boom, boom. And they just work on it all the time. Shaq should have been able to make his free throws. He jokes about it in commercials now, but LeBron should be able to make free throws. There's no excuse it's the easiest thing to practice. You can do it by yourself. And so, I always get upset when people can't make free throws. A little bit. But Giannis can. And so, I just don't see you know playing zone defense, trying to foul him or let him stand out there and shoot. He can do those things now, and it doesn't work. What works is what the Celtics did last, last game, is shooting threes and making them. If you can, because without Middleton, they really don't have a three threat for the Bucks. And they say he's coming back. I, I didn't know how bad it was, but they say he's coming back. If he does, that's going to help him a lot because they just can't keep up. But I also don't see the Celtics just banging down threes like they were. There for a few years, I thought Jason Tatum was the next LeBron James, but a better shooter. More physical than Kevin Durant, and he proved that in the last series. He dominated Kevin Durant. And I, I've always, it just seems like to me, Jason Tatum is like right there on the verge of being possibly the best player in the NBA. And then he isn't. And I just don't know what to think of it. Physically, he's kind of built like Paul George. He's big and fast and athletic. And yet, I don't know when the breakthrough's coming. Some games he takes over and I feel, wow, this dude just is unstoppable tonight, but it's just not consistent enough for me to say this dude's one of the top five best players in the NBA, and he should be. I just don't want him to – I don't want to see him end up like Paul George as like maybe the top 10 or top 15 because I really do feel like his talent is top five, and it's just not – it hasn't manifested yet. So we'll see. Those are my two picks. Still, I'm still riding with the Bucks and Golden State. I think those are our two best teams. Well, I don't think the Bucks are the best team. I do think the Celtics are the best team in the East. But I think Giannis can just beat a best team. <laughs> I think he can do it. He doesn't have to have the best team. It's kind of like LeBron with the Cavs for all those years. People don't give – I don't understand LeBron hate. I'm going to go – and obviously I'm in Ohio. And I was in high school around the same time LeBron was. And so I – I've watched this dude play forever, and I don't understand the hate. There's a lot of LeBron hate. Skip Bayless hates LeBron James, and I'm like, man, you look like an idiot. Why? He's never done anything wrong. He just plays great all the time. And when he took Mo Williams and Delonte West to the finals, you know, his his next best player at one point was Larry Nance Jr. They went to the finals. It's unbelievable. Arguably, the only the only team that's ever been worse has was Allen Iverson's team in the finals, and they weren't worse. <laughs> LeBron's teams that he drugged to the finals were the worst teams to ever go, and he just drug them there. 
And now everybody holds that over his head, like, well, you can't just carry a team to the finals anymore. And it's like, <laughs> he's 40 years old almost. And he's been doing it up until, like, this year. He's done it every year, basically. And last year. needs, And a lot of that isn't because he can't do it. It's just the, the, the shitty role players they have, quote-unquote, or not the right shitty role players. You know, they just don't they don't have a LeBron's always done well when they've had a point guard. People don't realize that about him. People always say LeBron's the point guard. And he is. He's a point forward. He does he does, but he doesn't what's nice for LeBron. Like look at Della Badova. That dude was a nobody. But he can bring the ball up enough so that LeBron can just take a break. And then, and then run a play. He doesn't have to carry the ball up every single play. And obviously he does it a lot. But Mo Williams would you know bring the ball up for LeBron. It's like he just can't run that much all the time. So you got a couple other guys that can – Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers I couldn't stand. But LeBron made it work. Small, small guy that can bring the ball up. Kyrie Irving. The most success LeBron's ever had. He's had a decent point guard, which is funny because everybody thinks LeBron is the point guard. And yet, the best teams and the easiest road he's ever had is when he's had a point guard, even if it's a bad one. Even if it's Della Vadova or Mo Williams. Because they can just allow him to rest a little bit while he's running up and down the court. And right now, they don't even have a point guard. They, well, now they have Russell Westbrook, right? And... The problem with Russell is he just turns the ball over. All you have to do to play with LeBron as a point guard is not, is not turn the ball over. That's the only requirement is be able to play and not turn the ball over. I need you to bring the ball up so that I'm not dead tired all the time. And when you bring it up, you kick it to me, and now I can run an offense. I run the offense. I'm the point forward. The, the offense runs through me. I just don't need to. I don't need to dribble the ball up the court every single time because I'm 40 years old. And even when he was younger, he didn't need to do it every single time. He can run the fast break. Obviously, he's still fast enough to do all that stuff. But it's just, you know, when you look at the Lakers right now, they they it's they don't have anybody that can do that. Anytime Russell Westbrook, he was one of my favorite players for so long. For so long, it's over. If he just retires, he retires as one of the greatest players ever, and and he played one season too long, like a lot of players do. If he plays another season, and it looks like last year, eesh, you don't go down as one of the greatest players of all time. If I'm him, and a lot of it is his hands, he just lost his hands. Everyone's like, "Well, he can't shoot." It's like that's. That's, that's the least of his problems. I just can't see this guy. He can't even cross somebody over without losing the ball. It's crazy. And I haven't heard anybody talk about that. They just talk about him not being able to shoot. And it's like he's never been able to shoot. But one thing he has been able to do is drive to the net, control the ball, dunk, fly. And now he can't even catch a pass. He needs to see a therapist probably. Or something like some sports psychologist or something that can figure out what's wrong. But that's LeBron's issue right now, is that they don't have anybody that can bring the ball up. <clears throat> he doesn't need a big man. He did it with Big Z for a while. Like, who gives a shit about a big man? I'd trade Anthony Davis tomorrow. What a waste of money. They got a championship, but it's like the it's the bubble championship, which to me is 
doesn't devalue how hard it was to get. That was probably the hardest championship to win. But it, for the Lakers, it devalues because they didn't make any money off of it. And so they're pissed. We didn't have any home games. We didn't we didn't make any we didn't make a dollar off that championship that LeBron won. That's not LeBron's fault. But it does suck for the Lakers. So this is the big weekend for UFC. Big weekend. Oliveira, Gaethje, Rose, and Carles Barza, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, your main events, so to speak. I wouldn't. Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson fight is. When I think about this card, it's the most interesting fight on here to me because it has huge ramifications for both of these fighters. Whoever wins the Gaethje fight or Oliveira fight, those guys are going to fight again. And Chandler's obviously going to fight again, but I don't know if it'll be in the UFC. I mean, it'll be in the UFC, but, man, the Michael Chandler train will have hit a brick wall if he loses to Tony Ferguson this weekend. He can't lose again, and neither can Tony. I don't think you would cut Tony if he loses to Michael Chandler. And, like, if Donald Cerrone, Cerrone's on this card... <laughs> The Cowboys on this guy, like he's still fighting. You, you wouldn't cut Tony because he's just makes so much money. He's so popular that you wouldn't just cut him. But I think overall, as a fan, most of us would feel like it's over for Tony if he loses to Michael Chandler. And I think most of us already feel like it's over after his gut Gaethje bout. It just he just hasn't looked the same. That being said, he's shown up and he looks big. But everybody that kind of, I mean, being taller than Michael Chandler is not that difficult in the division. But he is taller, and his jiu-jitsu is elite, and his striking is still elite. And if he's got the strength, my biggest concern for Tony for a long time was he stopped having sparring partners. And there was like a big movement in UFC for that. There was a lot of guys that were getting away from sparring to, you know, save their body, save their fucking brain, you know. (laughs) You have to. But you lose your edge, too. You forget what it's like to get punched in the face, and it doesn't happen until that night, and it's like, oh, my God. And you also kind of lose sight of how fast other people can be. I think Tony, you know, in the last couple fights, especially against Gaethje, just was caught off guard by how well Gaethje's boxing was and how he didn't try to take him down. I don't know why he just stood there and tried to exchange with him the whole time. Tony's ground game is good. But that put him in a tight spot against Chandler now. Their records are similar. Tony's got more wins and one less loss. Uh, yeah, one less. He's twenty six and six, and Chandler's twenty two and seven, over in his career. And Chandler, he ain't, his record's poor in the UFC. I think he's one and two. He's on a two fight loss streak, so he's got to get it done. He lost to Oliveira and Gaethje, who are fighting tonight. I haven't talked about that fight very much, but I'm going to now. Oliveira has become one of my favorite fighters, I think, ever. He can do everything. The dude, when people when people talk about coming from the bottom and, and really building it all yourself, this is one of the guys that's really done that. If you look at where he's from, it's unbelievable. If you looked at what he looked like when he was younger, you wouldn't ever think he would make it. And he's the champ. And I think he's an un- 
probably the most underrated champ I've ever seen. And he's in the division with all of the Sharks. Arguably the greatest division for a long time. And, 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 you know, you had Khabib and Connor, and you had Jose Aldo. You had all these great fighters that held the belt that are legends. Charles doesn't feel like he gets that hype. But, man, has he just become one of the most well-rounded executioners. The dude is dangerous. And what I find most fascinating is he walks up to these guys on the stage when they weigh in, and he he legitimately is not scared at all. Takes off his glasses and looks at him, and he just looks scary to me. Justin Gaethje turned away this week. He, he just went right to the crowd like, I'm not looking at this guy. Nope. And so initially I thought, ooh, Justin's going to go in there and do what Chandler should have done and, and clock him and, and knock him out and actually finish him. I felt like I felt like right off the bat, Justin looked away. Now I'll tell you something about Justin Gaethje. I was really in on him for a long time. You know when I'm out on guys? When they get choked out from behind. That's when I start not being into them anymore. Like you can't get an RNC. It's worse than a knockout in UFC to me. To anybody, and I would imagine to fighters. Like I thought Dustin Poirier was going to be a gangster. A couple RNCs, and I'm just out. It's like, eh, even he's out. He was on his Twitter like, man, try getting choked out from behind twice. You know, it's like, it's the worst. Justin, they just, Khabib decided to not break his arm and choke him out. He just, like, did whatever he wanted. And so I, I find that if a guy gets beat that way, I start, I start thinking, okay, that's a that's a flaw in your game that can't be overlooked. And there's nobody better at a rear naked choke than Charles Oliveira. You can't tell me there's somebody better. <laughs> it's so I, I I think Charles gets a win here. I wasn't. It's hard to say that because everybody, you know, I mean Charles is favored. He's minus one fifty nine, and the reason is is because he can choke you out, and it's already been proven that Justin doesn't. He. he Supposedly, he's like this wrestler. But every fight I've ever watched with him, he's in a fucking war. He's throwing bombs. And he's like, I can wrestle. And I said, like, well, you, sh- you should. Because <sighs> Khabib just like threw you down and choked you out. Like it was nothing. It was just like you went to the store and went home. He wasn't even sweaty at all. Like that's unacceptable. Connor put up a better fight than that. That's unacceptable. And so that kind of worried me about Gaethje. I, I've been out a little bit, and I like his fights. The Michael Chandler fight was absolutely gangster. The Tony Ferguson fight was – I almost – man, he almost got knocked out by Tony Ferguson in that fight. I realized that as the fight went on, Tony took the worst beating of his life and probably the worst beating I've seen in UFC in a long time. Except, Well, aside from the Rob Font beating that we just saw, those two beatings I, are are legendary to me now. We'll be talking about him for a long time. I remember Tony shaking his head and just bl- just blood and sweat flying. He couldn't even see. It was horrifying. Same with same with Rob Font the other night. Just horrifying. But Chandler, Chandler just he didn't really ever. I never felt like Gaethje was in trouble with Chandler. Not really after after the first round. Not really. But Tony gave him an uppercut and almost knocked him clean out of his boots. And I can you imagine if that would have happened? how this whole tonight would be different. 
<laughs> it's crazy. One, you know, one thing could have just changed everything. And that's what's so awesome about UFC. So I'm taking Oliveira. He's become one of my favorites. I think this fight has has the potential to be a decision. If Gaethje's learned, I mean, if Gaethje's learned anything, he won't get submitted. But Charles will probably get him. It's kind of like watching the um, Piotr Jan fight recently. It's just a scramble for their back, and nobody scrambles quite like Charles. He doesn't even have to scramble. He just, like, slides his way into these things. And his stand-up game is fantastic. He's got this kick he throws right up the middle, his his stand-up boxing. He's got a real tall stance for for a guy that likes jiu-jitsu. And some of that's like, go ahead and take me down. I'm going to stand tall. That's it's, it's such a unique style because a lot of these guys – that are jujitsu guys don't their their boxing is not that good. Charles takes a kickboxing stance, really tall, stands upright, hands up high, because he's not afraid to be on the bottom if if he gets taken down. And so that gives him the ability to stand tall and throw just fucking mean strikes whenever he wants, and uh, and he, he he'll stand up and bang with anybody. He's he's really awesome. And then the co-main, Rose and Carla. Thug Rose, baby. She's a babe. I'm not... After Rose got picked up and just slammed on her head by Jessica Andrade, I just don't know why every woman that, that fights her doesn't, doesn't do that. She's so little to me. She's so thin. And there's some women that are thick. And I just... I've been in some fights in my life, and I've watched a ton of fights. And when you go up against somebody that's just thicker than you, it's difficult. And for Rose, I'm always amazed when she gets a win. She's got great striking, but I'm always just amazed that some like some of these women come can't just come in and just slam her head straight into the ground because she seems very small. This fight's not going to be like that because Carla's Carla's not Jessica Andrade. Um, Carla's 34 years old and, and shorter than Rose. And I think this weekend is going to look smaller than Rose. Rose has never been like a big muscle woman. She's got good kicks, good punching, but mostly her kicks are devastating. I mean, she knocked out Whaley, you know, with a roundhouse kick to her face. Pretty brutal. Um, I don't see Carla getting it done. I'm not, I'm not in love with this co-main. At, at the same time, with the women, the, the women's division, I think the women's division has more parity than than any of the other divisions. Like the women's strawweight, for example, any of the women div- divisions. There's really only one woman that I think will come in there and not possibly have a bad night, and that's uh, Shevchenko. I don't ever see her coming in and having an off night, and even if she does, it's still a good night. I've 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 always thought that every other woman in the division, including the Lioness, can have a bad night and lose. Any of them. Any of them. And and lately, especially, Carla might just come in and beat Rose. It's just, it, it's such a, there's just not a huge gap between the talent in the women's division. That's a, that's a compliment, really. Because the women, the women are balling. Some of the best fights UFC puts on are, are the women fights. And I don't know if other people get as excited about them as I do. I mean, they're they're awesome. And a lot of that's because most of the women don't have the knockout power. 
and so they just beat each other up the whole time. And now that the skill level's gone up, and the striking's gone up in the women's division, I mean, it's their skill level has gone up. The women did not used to look like this, and now they do. Like their fights are high level, high skill striking. Some of these girls, um, there's that one girl from England. Name's not kind of on the tip of my tongue. I can't quite think of it, but she she's got a fantastic boxing stance, really grounded boxing stance, kind of like a like she's been watching a ton of Canelo fights, and, and she's just like a power boxer, you know. And she's kind of thick and just you know dangerous. And there's a bunch of women like that, and so I think Rose can lose tonight. She's she's minus two twenty two. I think that's too much. She should be minus one forty. Carla should probably be plus one fifty. I think Vegas has this wrong. The one thing I can say about Rose that she's never been able to do is defend her title. She can go get it. But being the champ, she's never proven she can be. She's always been able to prove she can become the champ. I can get there and become the champion. But being the champion is probably the most difficult thing in sports. I would say being a champion in, in, a, in any kind of fighting sport is is more difficult than being a you know a team sport champ. You get there, you win it, and then it's next year, and there's you know it's start over. The pressure of being a champion in, in fighting is unbelievable, and so it's different for her. And, and it was different for her last time, and she admitted that. And so she's gonna she's got to climb over that tonight. And Carla's no joke. And if you look at their faces, you just look at these chicks' faces. Carla's Carla's got a face, man. She she will she will fight. So that's going to be a really interesting banger. I, I really do think it's a coin flip. Vegas has it minus two hundred plus two hundred. I just don't see that anymore in the women's division. I don't think any fight should be like that in the women's division right now because I think the everything's just so tight skill wise. Now. Everybody, every pundit in UFC is going to tell you Rose is far more skilled than Carla. And it's like, sure. But if Carla comes in aggressive and mean and just drives her back and is punching her in the face, like some of these women just come out, it's like, oh my God, she's not going to lose. She's just. And after the first round, it's like, oh, she's not coming back from that first beating she just took. And they, and they just dominate. It happens all the time in the women's division. We'll see. I'm excited. I, I, I'm a fan of Rose. I just worry about her as the champ. When she's on the rise and she's hungry, she's really good. When she's the champ and she's on top, she hasn't been as good. So going forward, this weekend, uh, even tonight, I'll have another podcast for UFC with my picks. Last week, we only got two wrong on the entire night. So if you want to make some money, you know, come stop by. We'll we'll have my solid picks for the whole fight. I'm not, I don't really like talking too much prelim and early prelims on uh, the main podcast. We'll do that on the second podcast after I do my picks. We'll do like a quick rundown of all the picks, and then I'll I'll talk a little bit more deep into the preliminary card. The Macy fight's going to be really good. I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I'm trying to see what else. Um, I mean, one of the the early prelims, this Melissa Gatto, she's and Tracy Cortez. That fight might be really fun. Uh, that's a really early fight, but the one girl's eight and zero, the other girl's nine and one. Melissa Gatto is mean, so that might be a good one. A little little preview, and then uh, so yeah, the main main card: Charles, Justin. 
Let me know what you guys think. You can hit me up on Instagram. Tell me, uh, tell me who you got. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in Team Charles right now, only because Justin's been RNC, and I'm, I've kind of made that a rule of mine. I'm out on you once you get an RNC, and if you get two RNCs, I, I'm just never, I'm never in on you again. Let me know what you think about Rose and Carla. I just can't bet on Rose when she has the belt. I can't do it. We'll see. I'll let you know in the next podcast. I got to think about it. And then Chandler Ferguson. I didn't get it too much. Let me talk about Chandler before before we move on too much. Chandler, I've talked about this in the previous podcast. Chandler has to win tonight or tomorrow night. He has to win. There's there's very little room for error. He doesn't need to be in a three round banger. He needs to get in there and finish Tony early tomorrow and just move on. He has been in some absolute wars lately, and that takes its toll on you as a fighter. The reason Khabib was able to go for so long is he was never really in a war, ever. Not once was he in a war. That's why Gracie was great. People didn't realize what made Gracie great for so long was he didn't get hit. (laughs) Not getting hit is the most valuable trait that you can have as a fighter. Ask Floyd Mayweather. (laughs) Michael Chandler, for all the speed he shows, is super hittable. Every fight, his face is destroyed. It's like, dude, you've got unbelievable speed. You've got one of the best bodies I've ever seen in my life, ever. For his weight and his height, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's not like, okay, LeBron James, obviously, you know, a body like that, okay. That's better. But when it comes to UFC fighters, Michael Chandler's body is pristine. And his speed and power in the first round are unbelievable. Nothing like it. And he doesn't lose speed. He doesn't get ever get tired. I don't know. I don't know how he does that. But he never gets tired. And he carries his speed, but he doesn't carry his power. And for a guy that carries as much speed, he needs to learn to move his fucking head. Because he gets hit in the face over and over and over my one buddy's like, he's got a glass jaw. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't have a glass jaw, but you can definitely hit it. Charles is, you know, when Charles hit it, Charles is the champ. So when the champ hits it, you, you know, probably going to go out. Justin Gaethje's never been, he's not the champ. He ain't it. And so, you know, he was able to just punch it over and over and over again, and Michael Chandler didn't get knocked out. Because Michael Chandler doesn't have a glass jaw. He's just got a face that's easy to hit because he doesn't move. His hands are blazing fast. His footwork is fast. It's like... You're built like Mike Tyson. Look at your legs. You need to watch. You know what Mike Ch- or Michael Chandler needs to have a Michael Chandler needs to have a training session with, with Mike. I mean, obviously Mike weighed a lot more than Michael Chandler, but they're the comp is there physically. Giant legs, huge like shoulders and arms, and tight waist, no body fat at all. It's like you got to learn to be able to finish. And not get hit in the face. It's one of the. This is really why Tyson was so great for so long. People call him like the knockout artist, and he was. He knocked people out all day long. But I think the one thing Mike never gets credit for is that people didn't hit him. And a lot of that's because he didn't. He was stood right in front of you and didn't get hit. Mayweather dances around. And everyone's like, "Wow, he's the greatest defensive fighter of all time." Look at him dancing around. You can't hit him. And it's true, you can't hit him. Mike Tyson stood right in front of you, and you couldn't hit him. His movement was unreal. 
His ability to drop his head and come back up and drop back down in, the, in lightning speed fashion. Michael Chandler has a body that can do that. Why don't you? Why do you just stand there and get punched in the face? It's like, ugh. You're not going to have a long career doing that. So that worries me. So as I'm sitting here, I uh, got a little news. Not like a news outlet, obviously, but apparently Charles Oliveira has not made weight. <clears throat> That's interesting because Charles has never come off as the kind of guy to not make weight. He seems like a kind of guy that everything is planned perfectly. So I kind of wonder if that's on purpose, right? Justin Gaethje's a throws bombs. Maybe Charles wanted to come in a little heavy. Some of these guys, man, they'll just sacrifice the money. It's not that much. Pay 30 grand to secure a win. I don't know. Charles doesn't seem like the kind of guy to miss weight to me on on, on accident. So we'll see about that. I, I'm kind of shocked. Um, he may make weight, but on his first attempt, he he did not. So that's uh, concerning, but I don't know how or why it's concerning yet. I haven't decided who that benefits yet. <clears throat> Some of these guys that miss weight come in and they do it on purpose. <laughs> you know, they, they just sacrifice the money and come in a little, you know, a couple pounds overweight. I don't know how much he missed weight by yet. I've, I'll have to look that up. And then uh, I just want to talk about Tony real quick after I got, got done discussing Chandler. Tony, Tony's always in probably, even when he's losing, he uh, he's in some of the best fights you've ever seen. And lately, Michael Chandler's been in the best fights you've ever seen. So as long as Tony doesn't get killed in the first round, I think we might be in for one of the best fights we've ever seen. All things point to Hall of Fame fight. As long as Tony is ready. He's got to be ready for Michael in the first round. you got to survive round one against Michael Chandler. If he does that, we might be in for a really fun, just blood fest. <laughs> this thing might just be an absolute, it might be the bloodiest fight we've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be fun. And lastly, I just want to mention uh, Formula One in Miami. I'll have another podcast um, for that. Won't talk too much. And when I do talk about it, I'll put it at the end so you guys can just be like, I'm out. I don't want to hear about that if you don't if you're not into it. I know there's a lot of Formula One fans though, and it's probably my favorite thing, actually. People don't realize that. I you don't talk like Colin Cowherd, like I said, is probably you know one of my favorite guys. He loves UFC and never talks about it. Why? Because it doesn't necessarily sell <laughs> tickets. Like wrestling doesn't sell tickets. Uh, talking UFC doesn't doesn't put butts in the seat for his audience. <laughs> not mine. You know, we, we talk about it here because that's what we do. That's not what he does. So anyway, Formula One. Uh, first time in Miami. The track looks crazy. Uh, the internet's been kind of destroying it because they have these like fake boats in a marina with a fake like wooden water around it that's been painted. It, it <laughs> look, it, it is it is a little bit tacky, <clears throat> but that's Miami, <laughs> right? That's that's what Miami is. It's it's kind of supposed to be like that. Uh, but when you see the track from ahead, I'm watching the practices right now. When you when you see the track, it looks so cool. It looks like a Hot Wheels track almost. It looks really neat. Uh, the colors, the the scenery, I like it. Everybody's gonna kind of shit on it on the internet, which I get. 
everybody hates new. <laughs> that's that's just the the way the world we live in. I, I'm a chameleon. I'm constantly changing. I change everything about me all the time. My hair, my face, everything, my clothes. I just constantly am changing. When you Formula One is is very much like me. It is a changing sport. It is constantly, constantly evolving, and that's difficult on fans because fans, most people don't like change, and so change is difficult. Formula One, every few years, you know, they have a new car, new regulations, new rules, new everything. New now they have a salary cap, right? Like like the NFL would, and so and now they have more fans. They have a new TV show. They have Drive to Survive. Everything's new, and that's that for the company and the brand and the drivers and the and all the people involved. It's easy for them. That's what their business is. They're a tech, these are technology companies competing in the form of racing, and they're always they're always evolving. So for them, going to a new track, getting new car regulations, that's like in their DNA. It's not in fans' DNA. Fans are not used to it, and it, even fans of Formula One, and even some of the drivers, right? You'll see you'll hear drivers every now and then complain like, "Bring back the V12." Their car will break down and they're pissed because it was some part of the electrical part of the driving system. You know, it's always like some some aspect of that. You know, the charging, they're trying to, something like the battery can't charge and they break down and they're pissed. Bring back V12s. So much more reliable. Like car, like the cars didn't break down back then. They all, they've been breaking down since the beginning of racing. It's just a different part now. <laughs> I, I love it. It's It's... It's my it's my favorite thing. I watch it. I even watch the practices leading up into the weekend. You can do that now. Uh, Formula One's gotten so popular that ESPN shows the practices on regular TV. So you can you can grab those. Check out the check out the track this weekend. A new race for here's something that's interesting about Formula One. I don't think people your your average fan and a lot of new fans that are coming in. There's two championships going on. There's really two totally different entities competing. You got the drivers' championship, which is where all the prestige is, right? Everybody has a driver that they they love, but then there's also people that have teams they love. My um, kind of my stepdad figure, my father figure, growing up, he, he just liked Ferrari, and and at the time, like whatever driver they got, you know, it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter what he didn't have a driver. He had a team, and there are fans in Formula One like that, and the and the constructors' championship may even be more important to them. It's very rare that. You know the constructors' championship isn't won by the same team with the with the drivers' championship, but I'm not saying it's not possible. But and, and but most the reality is most people are watching these two different things happening all the time, and they may or may not care what team wins. They just want a driver to win, and some people care about what team wins, and they don't care about what driver wins. My wife loved Charles Leclerc. Shocker, right? <laughs> She uh, she likes the most handsome driver you've ever seen. The guy looks like fucking James Bond, right? And he and he and he races for Ferrari, which has always been one of my favorite teams because my you know fatherly figure. And so when my when I drug my wife into the Formula One world and she kind of fell in love with it, she sided with Ferrari, and of course she hopped on with the the Leclerc train. It just so happened that Sebastian Vettel was my favorite driver growing up. A lot of people, even younger drivers, are like my idol growing up was Ayrton Senna. It's like, listen, the only the only thing I can ever tell you about him is like in f- previous footage, like documentaries. I'm not old enough. I don't. And 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 I'm fucking twenty years older than Lando Norris. 
And he's like, my favorite, you know, these guys, these young drivers are like, well, Ayrton was the best. It's like, you have no, you don't even know. You watched the Senna documentary like me, and that's it. And yeah, he seems to be awesome. He was. There's no, I mean, and everything I've ever, I've read some books about him now. Uh, he, he was awesome, but it's not what I grew up watching. So, and, and it's definitely not what <laughs> Leclerc and Lando grew up watching. These guys are even younger than me. I have a hard time believing these guys even watched racing. You know, these guys are just like rich kids growing up that wanted to become race car drivers one day, and they did. And they were into carts and stuff. I, a lot of athletes don't spend a lot of time watching old footage of sports. You know, some of them do. Mike Tyson did. He was the champ. I'd imagine Lewis Hamilton did. That's why he was so great. Sebastian Vettel. He's one of those guys that can run down every champion of all time. And when he does it, you're like, how did he do that? It's because he watched all of the races. You've ever every race that's ever happened, he's watched. And and you and I know it when you hear him speak. When you hear Lewis speak, you know it. These guys know the sport and they became champions. And these younger guys that are learning the sport may one day start going back and, and learning kind of the history of their game. But a lot of that stuff for Vettel happened when he was a kid. And these uh, these younger guys, I don't I don't know if they grew up that way. I, I just don't know. They they seem like they like you know, soccer and video games and FIFA and everything else. And I just don't know how much they know. And when you look at Verstappen, his dad was a driver. So he knows. <laughs> he knows. He grew up in it. And so this year we're looking at a Leclerc-Verstappen championship. And it's going to be a coin flip every single weekend. If you want to bet on who's going to win the race every single weekend, there's there's a couple bets you can make for the winner. One of them is Charles Leclerc wins. The other one is Verstappen wins. And those are always going to be crazy odds because even even if they're the most favored it's you know one of them is going to be plus 250 and the other one might be minus 100 to win because it's so hard to win even though they're the favorites it's like it's basically a coin flip and then you'll get a guy like Carlos Sainz I'll tell you this every single year in Formula One something crazy happens in a race and somebody wins that shouldn't have and the odds are astronomical I mean, astronomical. You just can't believe it. Plus 5,000. You know, if you go look at the odds in Formula One at the bottom, your midfield guys that have zero chance of winning, zero, none, they're like plus eight, you know, plus 10,000 to win the race. But once every season, one of them will. You don't know what race it's going to be, you don't know how it's going to happen. Usually, like somebody breaks down, there's rain. You just never know. Crazy, crazy stuff happens in Formula One, and so every year, one you know, one race a year, you get a you'll get a plus ten thousand winner. Lance Stroll, somebody like that, you know, they just get their win, they get their first win of their career, and they only get one, and they may only ever have one because they never move up into a team that's competitive. But you can look at Carlos Sainz this season. I have a hard time thinking he's not going to get another win or a win. I have a hard time uh, thinking that. Uh, George isn't going to get on the podium. George Russell, I think he'll get on the podium this season somehow. It'll be a it'll be a kind of a freaky thing. They're, they're, when you look at Mercedes, they've been dominant, absolutely dominant, and they are struggling. But George isn't. He's flying. He's getting around fifth and sixth. All that takes is maybe a wreck. Somebody breaks down. George might slip into third. That's going to be a nice number someday. 
just got to keep an eye on it. Look for that right, the right number. And I'll tell you one other thing about this weekend that most people don't think about, but this is huge. Watch out for the young drivers that are into video games, iRacing specifically. These guys are going to know that no tracks like that. Even that Formula One game, the new one, has this track in it. And a lot of people think that's silly, but just like even in a video game, driving around a track repeatedly and like just knowing it, learning it, learning it, even if it's not, it's obviously not identical, but it's like these guys have never been on this track ever. It's a new track. And so the younger drivers that are into the gaming and uh, simulation racing, they, they sometimes come out on these new tracks a little faster, a little bit more confident. They just, they've been there in their head. That's going to be really exciting. That's on Sunday. Keep an eye out. I'm going to post a couple more, uh, a couple more podcasts this weekend. We'll have some UFC, our, our betting podcast, and then we'll do an NBA bets. And uh, I might have another Formula One, uh, just a little quick 10-minute gambling thing. But um, stoked to be back. Can't wait to talk to you guys again. Have a good weekend.